This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. This afternoon, we're going to look at Romans 3, and it's not an easy passage to follow. So it'd be great if you have your bulletin open or your Bible open, so that you could follow along, and later you could shoot your questions uh, at me um, after the sermon. Without that, we, uh, without further ado, let me bring us to uh, pray and ask God to help us to engage with today's passage. Let's pray. Father, today's passage is one that is not easy to understand, but it affects every one of us. So Father, we pray that you will help our minds to be clear today, to engage with your word, and help our hearts to also be engaged with your truth, so that our hands may be strengthened by your spirit to live in the right way, that looks forward to Christ's return. In His name we pray and for His glory. Amen. I've got a next picture for us that uh, Therese is going to put here. No one can save us. That is the title for this giant statue of a melting Superman created by two uh, artist Mojoko and Eric Fernanda, this bold superhero stands tall with his hands on his hip. But sadly, the upper half of his body has melted away. Well, this is a statue on display outside Singapore Art Museum a few years ago, just opposite the SMU library that I was writing this sermon. Of course, it's no longer there, but you can find it easily. According to his creator, Mojoko, who created this art, the statue, he says, is a comment on global warming and the fact that the superhero is melting gives us little hope for our future. Well, the commentators, when this was created, one commentator noted this, well, this statement just sounds quite depressing. It may be true. Sadly, we may have reached a point where even our greatest superheroes cannot save us from the disappearing ozone layer. Well, this afternoon we come to the concluding argument that Paul has begun right from Romans 1 up to Romans 3, which points to the dire situation that the Gentiles and the Jews are both facing, they're both facing the global warming of God's coming raft. And both of them cannot escape because the ozone layers, whatever it was that they tried to lean on, are depleting faster than they can breathe. And the judgment is coming. Now, just a recap for those of us who have not been with us in, in the Roman series. Back in Romans 1, 18 to 32, Paul pointed out that Gentiles, which are non-Jews, they are incapable of getting right with God and they fail in life and they're due for God's wrath and judgment. Last week in Romans 2, Paul points out the Jews who had God's law and had circumcision to mark their covenant, they too have failed by not keeping God's law and they too will have to face God's judgment. So their hypocrisy and their inability to keep the law, um, as Nick points out, have reversed their circumcision. They are as good as the uncircumcised Gentiles when they disobey the law. So the Gentiles failed. The Jews 
have also failed. And this is the shocking reality that Paul brings up, that even the strongest in the world will not be able to withstand the coming just wrath and judgment of God. So as we come to Romans 3, this afternoon we face just one more push from the listeners to Paul because they, they are not ready to give up yet. And as they heard the Romans 2 that Paul says, you have become like the uncircumcised Gentiles. They have one last push for us from verse 1 to 18. It's not an easy passage. So to help us follow the, the objections that Paul anticipates in Romans 3, I put an imaginary picture there uh, of of an imaginary Paul who is facing an imaginary Jewish opponent. And as you listen in on this debate, trying to argue whether Paul is really right, that law circumcisions really can't do anything to save them, uh, we will follow from there to see what Paul ultimately wants to drive and silence once and for all. So if you have your passage, look at verse 1 with me. I'll put it in my words, what is happening here? Now, as Paul, he removed the Jewish dependence on the law and circumcision uh, of being able to save them, you can almost feel the background of the Jews trying to object. If you're a Jew, you will try to object. This you say, Paul, 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 if we follow your conclusion of Romans 2 up to now, that law and circumcision, they are incapable of saving us, what's the point of being a Jew? Does it mean all along that our Jewishness, our circumcisions, are but a joke? It's actually worthless. Paul, is that what you are saying? No, as the opponent breathed this out accusation at him, you could feel the silence of the room of the rest of the Jews. They were... And then, Paul was the one who breaks the silence and says, of course our Jewishness and our circumcision makes all the difference. And you can hear the cry. In his own words, Paul says this, much in every way, there is great value in being a Jew. And Paul unpacks the value by saying, first of all, well, if you look on, there's no second of all or third of all. So what Paul is saying, most important or most of all, there's value in this, that the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. So Jews, Paul says, they are privileged people, unlike the rest of the world, unlike the Gentiles, the Jews have knowledge about God. And the Jews, in knowing God, also have knowledge about men and about us. And the Jews have knowledge about the problems that we have. And the Jews hear from God's own mouth that He promised to provide a way out. Jews were given truth and light and promise or to put it another way, while, while Gentiles think of ourselves without Bible, while Gentiles create our own gods and worship animals and other creations, the Jews have already understood from God's word that there is a God. And we are created in God's image. While the Gentiles, they are rebellious and they are unaware that the tsunami of God's judgment is rushing right to them as they suntan at the beach. The Jews are already warned, God never leaves sin unpunished. While the Gentiles search in vain for a way out to escape death, the Jews 
have God's word that promises life from death. The Jews are entrusted with God's word, Paul says, which means they also have the privilege to proclaim God's word to the rest of the world who do not have that truth. So, what? who else has privileges like, like the Jews? Now, imagine a world plagued with contagious virus. Those of you who loves um, zombie movies and vampire movies, you kind of get this theme right away. A world that's full of contagious virus, but there's a group of people by the code name the Jays. Okay? The Jays, this group of people, they have special knowledge of where the infected world can find a cure. So this group of people, the Jays, they recognize that the virus everyone is suffering around the world is not natural. It's not natural to bite each other. It's not natural to suck the life out of each other, out of our own blutters, out of our own selfish ambition, our desires, our lust, our hunger, our pride, our greed. The Jays, this group of people, they know it's not normal to infect each other with jealousy, with hatred, with gossips, with division, with anger. This group of people, the Jays, they know it's not normal to be living dead. That while you're living, you're already condemned to hell. Well, this my thought of comparison between what the Gentile world had and what the Jews have. Because they are privileged people and trusted with God's very word. So there's great and tremendous value being a Jew. But, Paul had brought in Romans 2, but like a prodigal son, the Jews back in Romans 2 have squandered the privileges that God has entrusted them. Instead of pointing to the dying to God's word, they jump right in and to live the same way. They do not follow God's word and so they infect themselves with the same virus as the rest of the world. So are there privileges in being a Jew? Much in every way. But they've squandered it. They've wasted their privileges by failing to keep the laws in their hearts and so they land themselves like the uncircumcised Gentiles. So that was what has been happening. And here, look at this point. At this point, you could imagine some of the Jews who are listening and they, they still think, surely there must be something the law and the circumcision can help us more than the rest. And so they will try to push back the argument with verse 3. This is how they will try to intercept Paul's point. Now, now wait a minute, Paul. You are contradicting yourself. Because Paul, you, you acknowledge that God has given us Jews promises to save us. So, so what if some Jews are being unfaithful? Does it mean it will nullify God's Faithfulness, meaning that by you, Paul, by you condemning them to be called uncircumcised Gentiles, have you not also nullified God's promise to save His own people? So if you are unfaithful, if you say we are unfaithful, then God has become unable to keep His promise. It's not, it's not easy to follow, but do you get what He's trying to say? God cannot be faithful if you condemn us. To which Paul replies in verse 4, Not at all. Even if every one of us are liars, says Paul, 
God remains true and right because our actions can never nullify God's faithfulness. No, and to make his point, Paul brings out this bazooka, this big gun, to blast the rest of the crowd of Jews there. He says, who is the greatest among all of you? Who is the man, who is the man that God says is after God's own heart? And if you're a Jew there, you will all mumble, King David, King David. And so Paul quotes King David from his very words in Psalm 51, which is quoted here. He says, As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. Now just pause here for a minute. As Paul quotes this, this verse, it's actually taken from this psalm called Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm that was written by King David after he had sinned big time. It was the time when David sinned against Man and sins against God, he committed adultery, he murdered, he was, he committed treason towards God by ill-treating the people God and trusted Him. So Psalm 51 is actually a desperate song of the greatest king as he repented and God punished him. So even as God punished David, the great king David, and took away his son, the son that was born out of his sin, David cried out this, My God, you are proven right when you speak, and you prevail when you judge. He cries as his son dies, but he says, God, you are just. No one can blame God when God judges. Not even King David who has received the greatest promise any Jew would have received. Because God gave David that promise, out of you will come the greatest king who will live forever and rule forever and save my people and care and watch over them on my behalf. God's faithfulness is not nullified by anyone's unfaithfulness, not even King David's. You know why? Because God's faithfulness is not just about being of saving. God's faithfulness includes Judging. God is faithful when he judges as he did to David. And Paul's point here is, God is faithful when he judges the Jews that have sinned against him. Now, of course, we know that is not the end of the story, because while David sinned, he caused David to lose the son he loved that was born out of sin. God... God's eternal rescue, when it comes, will cause God His very own Son that was promised, or was born out of promise. And that's what Paul began right at Romans 1 verse 17, that God's salvation can be received by faith through Jesus Christ. And we'll look at it in greater detail next week when we expand and see what Paul has to say. But now Paul's oppositions, they are not ready to give up. So one of them will come and dig deeper into argument and this is the way that he shoots out. In that case, Paul, you have put God in a worse position than before. Look at verse 5. He says this, But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what should we say? That God is unjust in bringing His wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. 
This is what he's saying. If our wrongs actually reveal because of the law, uh, our wrongs are revealed by the law because we have sinned against it, and in that process, make God look righteous, actually we are helping God to look good. Surely God is unjust to be angry with us, because if our if our evil deeds make God a hero, how can God blame us and be angry with us? He should actually thank us. Now some in the audience will already be lost in the argument. Perhaps some of us are lost. Others just wonder if this logic actually makes sense. And Paul breaks the thought. He says, what stupid logic is this? In fact, only our sinful humans can come up with this. And so verse 6, he says, certainly not. If that was so, how could God judge the world? Paul's point is this, as he look at the Jews, you Jews should know better. Weren't you happy when God judged the Gentiles in Romans 1? They said, God, judge them. They deserve just judgment from you. Wasn't, weren't you the ones that say, God, where are you when evil happens? Aren't they the ones that say, God, justice should fall on those evil people. Well, Paul's point is this. If God doesn't judge you when you sin, how is God going to judge the world when the world sins? And well, to overflow the objection into a total absurd, Paul rephrases opponent's questioning um, with verse 8. Look at verse 8. Why not just say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil, the good may result. The opponents slander Paul by saying that they are all just actors in God's movie. The worse they behave, the better God looks. God should actually pay them double for doing the job of making God look good. Well, no, Paul's sins, unfaithfulness that we have doesn't nullify God's faithfulness. Our, our unrighteousness helps to reveal God's justice. Why don't we just indulge in sin? So more good comes out. Why don't we do more evil so God looks better? To that, Paul has only four words for them. The condemnation is just. Now, dear friends, as we round up verse 1 to 8, you probably agree with me by now, it's quite a dense and packed eight verses to follow. And they're not easy to understand. But if I had to sum this up, I think here's what Paul's point is. I think this is what Paul is trying to bring out, that actually no one gets excused for their sins. No one gets excused for their sin, because a just God punishes all sins, whether from Gentiles or Jews. The law and circumcision, they are, they are great privileges, but they are not automatic shields that grants the Jews license to sin and not be judged. Now friends, now as we, as we think about this whole eight verses, I want to pause and consider some parallels then for us, especially if you're a Christian. Because being born in a, in a Christian family, reading the Bible, having been raised in the church, having memorized the whole Romans, perhaps you could, owning ten different Bibles in your home, having baptism, eating communion, having parents that are Christians, having spouse that are Christians, these are great privileges. These, these are, they are great blessings. But they do not become an automatic shield that prevents you from facing God's wrath. Just because you have all these things, it does not prevent you from God's wrath. 
Because God is just and everyone will get punished for sins, for evils, for wrongs. And we must never for a moment think that anyone on earth has special privileges to sin. We should never be mistaken. No one on earth here has a privilege to sin. Now, if you do not have a real relationship with God through the gospel, as Paul has declared back in Romans 1, 7, and we'll look at it in detail next week. If you do not have a relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ, this is Paul's point. We will face the wrath of God. Sin will demand justice. It's the same for the Gentiles. It's the same for Jews. It's the same for you and me. Now, dear friends, we have considered that for God to be just, He has to be just. He is just to be angry with us. And because He can see every rebellion in our hearts, whether we have done it, we have spoken it, we have hidden it, because God can see all of them, He cannot ignore them and He will judge. No, for God to be just, He will respond to the challenge that atheists have given for all this time. You know what atheists always say? They will say, if there is a God that is good and just, why is there evil in this world? Have you heard of that? It's happening all the time. The atheists will say, if there is a good and just God, why is there evil all the time? And I could imagine Paul would reply, say, don't worry, when God comes, no evil will escape. Not the serial killer, not the petty thief, not the Jews, not the Gentiles, not you, not me. All sins, evils and wrongs accumulated will pay this price on the day of God's global wrath. And so to drive home the verdict, Paul comes to verse 9. He asks the same question in verse 1, but this time his answer is not about privileges, but about reality. So look at verse 9 with me as Paul asks the same question. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have all already, we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So Paul drives home this point. As the rubber hits the road, both Jews and Gentiles, they are actually under the power of sin. Because here's the reality of our hearts. That at the root of everything, all of you are rotten at the core. It might not sound very good to you, but that's Paul's point. That we are core, at the core of us, we are under the power of sin. So dear friends, is there advantage being a Jew? Yes, much in every way. They have great advantage, privilege. But do they have advantage under the power of sin? No. So as we come to verses 10 to the end of passage, Paul begins to unpack what it actually looks like to be under the power of sins. If you have been lost at the debate over the last almost 20 minutes, here's the way to, this is the time to pick it up because Paul is about to explain how sin works in your life and in my life and in the world. Here's how it works. When we fall into sin, we fall into sin when we decide to rebel against God because that is what the core of sin really is. Sin is really rejecting and going against God. So when we decide to reject and break free from God, sin comes along. Imagine sin as a someone who looks like a friend. He comes and offers 
friendship with you. You say, you want to get rid of God? You want to be free from God? I'll help you sign the dotted line. And we sign the dotted line to be free with sin's help. But from then on, we recognize we are tied to sin and we are under the power of sin. So let me give you some examples, everyday example. Imagine it's like a man or it could well be a, a woman who who signs the dotted line offered by a loan shark or drug pusher to enjoy a freedom in an unnatural way. You sign the dotted line, you enjoy the freedom, and before they know it, they realize this is not right. And by then they realize that they have already signed the dotted line. They've already signed it with their blood and so-called pleasure and freedom the loan shark or drug pushers offered them is no longer a freedom. And those who look like friends, they've now become their master. And sin has this power over those who have rebelled against God and we are bound to it. So here is when, from verse 10 onwards, Paul starts to unpack three illustrations to sum up this whole thing how the power of sin is now working in all the Jews and Gentiles, all of us. So he'll unpack the heart problem they will have, and he'll manifest into our words problem, and then he'll also review in our works problem. So look at this, the heart, the words, and the works that Paul has for us. Look at verse 10, 12 with me first at the heart. I'll read this for us, if you'll follow me. Verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Now as you hear Paul using these absolute terms like, no one, not even one, no one's righteous, understands, seeks God, no one does good, all have turned away. Some of us will start to think, well really Paul, I'm struggling to agree with you. We start to think of, People we admire, people we love, we think of those people who, who, who does good around the world, who are kind, who, who does selfless acts. In fact, we Chinese, we have the Chinese saying, Ren Sing Ben San. If you forgot your Chinese, I see Fang shaking her head, you know, explain that to her. It means that by nature we are good. If we are bad, it's the circumstances that cause us to be, to be bad. It could be something that has happened in our past, we blame it on everything else but ourselves. Because we are by nature good, but Paul, you are, so Paul, you are, perhaps you are mistaken, but what Paul is bringing to us, this point, he's not looking at the mere surface of how we look. He's going right into the core of us. He's not measuring by our standards or by our comparison between this person and this person, this person looks really good. Paul is unpacking the heart problem, that all the absolute terms here refers to the Jews and Gentiles. He has started talking about sins, Romans 1. And Paul's quoting of the whole range, this actually quotes from Psalms, from Isaiah, from Ecclesiastes, from the whole range of Old Testament scriptures. They are referring to people who have turned their hearts against God. So this is what Paul is pinning on, the heart of people who have turned from God. So regardless how we may appear, the core of ourselves is corrupted, according to Paul, because our corruption is under, we, our core is under the power of sin, and it corrupts us. Now, now you listen to me carefully, it doesn't mean that we are as bad as we co- could possibly be. I'm not trying to say that. I believe most of us, in fact, I hope 
all of us are not going to be cold-blooded murderers anytime in this life. Uh, if you're going to be, don't tell me. Uh, I'll have sleepless nights. We're not all going to be as bad as we possibly can. But the truth, because of sin in us, we can never be as good as we are made for. We can never be as guiltless as what is required to escape justice. So why do we need laws in every country? Like every country that has this good country has laws is to curb the outpouring of evil from the hearts of men. Why do we want New Year resolutions? Have you made them before? Why do you want changes? Because we always feel that there's something inside us that is just not as right as it should be. Why do we struggle in relationships when you have quarrels with your parents, with your spouse, with your children? Because there's a little bit of me that prefers as more important than him or her. You know, we all can do good sometimes. We can be kind, we can be selfless, we can be gentle sometimes. But why do you and I struggle to be good all the time? Unless you're not, you're different from me. I struggle to be kind all the time. To be selfless all the time. To be gentle all the time. To be sacrificial all the time. And why do we struggle relentlessly to put away greed, lust, grumbling, laziness, hatred, anger, lies? You name your struggles that you have this week, this month, this year. It may not be the ones I listed out, but you have yours, I have mine. Why do we struggle to put things away? They come back and bite us and we are always trying to resist. Why do we struggle to put on good all the time? And why do we struggle to put off bad all the time? Because you and I, we are all under the power of sin. Now, dear friends, our hearts are very deceitful. If you ever go to famous people, men and women in our world, you go and look at them and say, who are some of the good people? They'll name you a list of great people in our world and how they should deserve to go heaven because God owes them. You hear that in our world. But if you ever go to godly men and women who actually fears God, the best you can find, they'll point to you the sins in them that they cannot get rid of. That unless God deals with it, unless God forgives them, they're in big trouble. There's a total different view when you look to the world's standards and you look to those who fears God. In fact, the reason Paul points to Psalms, he quotes Psalms, he quotes Isaiah, quotes Ecclesiastes from verse 10 to 18. It's actually to call the Jews who are listening, you guys, look back to your history. Find me anyone who managed to get to heaven and to God by their achievements, by their obedience, by their complete adherence and sinlessness. There's none. So dear friends, only God can rescue the Jews and the Gentiles, you and me, from the power of sin. And if we go on to verse 13 to 18, Paul starts to unpack words and works, problems that flows out of our heart problem. Look at, listen to the flow of verse 13 and 14. I'll read to you, listen to this flow. Their throats are open graves. In fact, we sang this just now. Their, the tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And look, look at how it flows. From the heart, now it goes up to the throat and goes to the tongue. It trickles to the lips and finally it comes up from their mouths. No, our, our mouths, are, our tongue are really small, but they cause the greatest harm 
And the problem heart will bring out the problem tongue. Have you heard of this quote? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Have you heard that before? This phrase, at its best, is a vain attempt to help children deal with bullies in schools. Because the reality is this, words not only hurts, words kills. The words of the tyrants have put millions to death at many points in our history. The words of a spouse, a prodigal child, a boyfriend and girlfriend can pierce the hearts of the strongest men, women, father, mother. Words can kill. A lie at a court can cause a man to be stuck in jail for decades for their whole life. All of this did not come from accident. They did not come out of a spur of a weakness. You know what these words come from? They come from the heart. Now, dear friends, have you been hurt by words before? Have you hurt people with words before? If either of these have happened, let Paul say this, it's not of weakness when we say those hurting words. Because in those hurting times when we say all these things, there's a reflection of who we really are. In the times where you did not keep track of your tongue and you spur out what you actually want to say, that's actually who you and I are. From the heart. We make no mistakes that those are not accidents. And Paul goes on, verse 15 to 18, Their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin, misery, mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. Verse 18, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Someone once says, look at verse 15 to 17, someone says, verse 15 to 17 sounds like a condensed history of our world. I don't know if you agree. Look at it again. It says, 15 to 17 sounds like a condensed history of our world. Now the reason this sounds like our words is because at the core of the sinful hearts, the words and the works, they are problematic. Lies verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. As Paul's listeners, they, they listen and take in these quotes from Psalms, from Isaiah, from Ecclesiastes. The Jews are hearing their own history being verbalized by their greatest king, by their most respected prophet, Isaiah. Lest any of the listeners would try to argue with Paul anymore, they have to argue with their own history. Anyone who disagrees with what Paul is saying, they have to show that they are better than all that have gone before them. Now, dear friends, do we really fear God every moment? Do you really fear God? Do you fear God at all? The sinful history of the Jews are but a summarized picture of the history of you and me. Our histories. Now, as I look out of the SMU library window, the, the, the Superman that was hanging there was, was long gone. But the museums are still around the school. And they all tell us the history of who we are. And 15 to 17 sounds like a condensed history of our world because none of us fear God as what He should be feared or turn to Him as how we should have turned. Our words fail to have true devotion to God. Our works fail to reflect a sinless life. 
And so the final global warming must come because the wrath of God will arrive and nothing can shield us from it. But there's only one. There's one. One who can save us from the global warming who, not in movies but in history, really died and really rose. The Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why God should be able to faithfully judge and still offer us forgiveness and promise to rescue us faithfully is because of His Son, the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll hear more of that. We've already heard it in Romans 1. We'll hear more of that as Paul wants to drive this point next week. But the point is that we will not be saved by our words, our works, or our privileges, but by Jesus dying for us. And that is the good news we'll hear next week. But this week, as we conclude, let us land on the last two verses that Paul wants to drive home today. Look at verses 9 and 20 as I read for us. So that every mouth may be silent and the whole world held accountable to God. Verse 20, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of our sins. Dear friends, do we think for a moment we can be saved? If we think for a moment we can be saved from God's judgment because we attend church, because we are baptized, before we're going to have communion, before we, because we have the Bible, if we think for a moment that we can escape God's judgment because we have done some good things in our life, we have expressed some selflessness at some moment, we have climbed the religious ladder, or we have just simply ignored God. If we think for a moment any of this thing can clear us from God's judgment, Paul brings us back to reality in 19 to 20. That every mouth on that day will be silenced. The whole world will be accountable to God because law will not declare anyone right. Law will reveal our sins. So it is only an illusion if we ever look to our world and the world gives the verdict that some people are good enough for heaven. Let's just put it straight. It is an illusion. Because on that final day, we are not dealing with men. We are dealing with God. If for a moment we do not recognize how desperate we are, perhaps we really are still living in the illusion pained by the world and our friend's sin. But may we, by God's word, as it's being unpacked, and as God has brought it out, not just to the Gent Jews, but to us now, that we realize how desperate everyone is. If that's the case, then next week, when we come to God's comfort, it will be a great comfort. It will be a great comfort as we look at God's words next week, but it's for people who are desperate. So this week, it will be a good time to consider as we examine our hearts, our mouths, our hands, to see if next week's passage is going to be one of great comfort or just one that is, well, just whatever that people in the world just says. So let me close this time as we, as we pray that God will work in us to see how much we need Him. Let me pray for us. In fact, let us pray together. In Romans 3, 4, Paul says, Let God be true and every human being a liar, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak 
and prevail when you judge. But just give us some time at this moment just to reflect on our own hearts, our words, our works, that we can all by ourselves respond to the all-seeing, all-knowing God. And then I'll close for us. Just a, just a short moment for us to reflect and pray to God. Dear God, Heavenly Father, you'll be proof right on the day of judgment when you list out our sins. On the day we cannot cover our shame, our wrongs. You will not compare our sins with others. You will simply declare your verdict on us. Help us to recognize how desperate all of us humans are so that we can recognize how amazing the gospel is when we come to Jesus, that Jesus' death on the cross is the only way for He will come, not to shield us from your wrath, but He will absorb all the wrath we deserve for us. Work in our hearts this week as we look forward to hearing your great comfort in the week to come. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.